Yeah, thanks. I'm Mark Sample. I'm a professor of digital studies at Davidson College, which is located outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a small liberal arts college, and I teach classes that study digital culture, creative coding, video games, basically anything having to do with internet culture or new media. I teach classes in that. I teach what some people call electronic literature, which is studying how folks are making use of the affordances of digital technology to explore how to tell stories or poems. And I also do a lot of creative coding myself, and I guess I'll talk about what that term means. For me, creative coding is kind of like a combination of coding with creative writing. It's like imagining some sort of interesting fictional non-existent scenario and then trying to implement it through code. Creative coding is not a term that I've made up. I feel like it's kind of been circulating in this community of practice for a little bit now. There's a, another term called exploratory programming. This is an idea that Nick Montfort has come up with to talk about programming not as a way to solve problems, but as a way to just kind of explore you know, whatever medium you're working with, whether it's language or video or images, you can kind of approach all of those programmatically. I make small little internet toys and bots. Sometimes they're fun, sometimes they have some sort of political perspective. Other times they're just to see if I can do it. I first started making bots on Twitter. Originally, it was really pretty easy to create a new Twitter account and get API keys, API application programming interface. It's basically how one program talks to another program. And then I just started creating little bots because Twitter at the time gave you 140 characters to work with. So that was a nice constraint because it meant you couldn't be very elaborate. Constraints are actually a good thing because they force your focus they force you to solve your problems in challenging ways, unique ways. I started making these bots, like one of my very first ones takes lines from Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass and then mashes them together with tweets that have used the FML hashtag. Uh, FML is F my life. I think it's Whitman, FML is the name of the bot that are combining these like, you know, profound, epic statements from Whitman with really mundane annoyances and grievances that people tweet about. All goes onward and outward, and nothing collapses. But I decided to hate everyone. Hashtag FML. And it's this really kind of nice contrast. And I originally made that bot basically stealing from someone else. Darius Kazemi, who is a creative coder, he had created a bot that took fragments of Bruno Latour and mashed them up with people who were using the hashtag swag. And I thought that was funny. And Darius makes all his stuff open source. So basically I went in and saw what he was doing. I took his code and I borrowed it. And that was really my first engagement with modern coding. My most recent thing was you know, inspired by the pandemic. It's called the Infinite Catalog of Crushed Dreams. And it's just a website of a list of procedurally generated events and people whose dreams have been crushed 
by the pandemic. As you reach the bottom of the page, it generates a new batch of things and it just keeps going on forever. And I was trying to capture that feeling I had hearing what my students were going through, like all their crushed dreams, the seniors who weren't going to have a traditional graduation, students who lost their internships or whose jobs were rescinded and all those kind of things. Give us kind of a, uh, like an elevator pitch for your class, Creative Coding. Yeah, so I teach a class called Creative Coding for, I think it's called for absolute beginners. The idea being that we don't want anybody to feel afraid of taking this course. It's targeted towards humanists, of course. And in the class, we don't approach coding as a way to find solutions to problems or to do some sort of heavy duty text analysis or quantitative analysis. It's more like exploring, oh, what happens if we do this? So it really is about exploring coding rather than trying to solve problems with it. Instead of focusing on a single language, I focus on a couple different programming techniques using a couple different platforms. We work with a JavaScript HTML poem that Nick Montfort wrote called Taroka Gorge. And we basically remix it. We dive into the code and figure out how to change it and do something interesting with it ourselves. And I think that's really the best way to get started with creative coding, taking some sort of existing object and getting in under the hood and just playing around with it. I've been really happy like the last time I taught this course, you know, by the end of day four, people are coming up with really great things. And they do that because we're already starting from these high-level, often open-source platforms. You know, I think lots of people feel the pressure to learn how to code. And assuming that not everyone actually needs to have a software developer's understanding of computer programming, what do you think people do need to know? Or does everyone need to know anything? Well, that's a good question. And I get it from students. I get it from strangers who ask me what I do. Why are you a literature professor who codes? And I think it's important to combat the notion that coding only belongs to coders. And I think about reading as an analog. So sure, literary scholars read novels and poetry and plays, but that doesn't mean other people shouldn't. And other people do. They read for pleasure, for enrichment, for different perspectives, not with some end goal in mind. And I like to think that coding should be similar. It's something that people can do just for fun, just to see what happens, just to play around. So it doesn't have to be left to the professionals. I think almost all of my early things I was happy with started off as basically ripping off from other people. They were open source to begin with, so I don't feel bad about it. Totally acknowledge where your sources are coming from and ideally make your own work open source as well to encourage other people to learn from you. But I, I think that's really the best way to start.
humanists, traditional humanists who study culture and society, I think uh, it's really important to understand the principles behind computing, the idea of procedural thinking. One of the kind of theoretical inspirations for how I approach creative coding as a humanist comes from Lisa Samuels and Jerry McGain. They wrote an essay in 1999 about what they called deformance. And deformance is the idea that you take some sort of existing work and by taking it apart and looking at it in a different way, you re-inject it with a sense of vitality and can see it from a fresh perspective. One of the examples they give in the article is reading an Emily Dickinson poem backwards, line by line. I could not see to see, and then the windows failed, and then between the light and me, with blue, uncertain, stumbling buzz, there interposed a fly. I think a lot of what I do with creative coding and what I encourage my students to do are acts of deformance, using creative coding as a way to better understand cultural artifacts in our lives that we take for granted. I had students this semester who were doing projects like, one was kind of silly, but also excellent. And it was an email excuse generator, which basically generates the kind of emails that students send to professors. They want to ask for an extension or why they can't make this class or something like that. And it's satire and it's funny, but in order for my student to do that, she had to really think hard about the genre of student emails. So she basically dissected this genre in order to reassemble it for her generator. And that's, I think, a great example of the way that creative coding can let you look at some sort of existing, you know, cultural artifact and really see it in a new way. I'm giving kind of silly examples, but they don't have to be silly. You could do some sort of deformance of a text that you're studying. If you're a historian and you're studying some sort of primary source document, I think arguably there would be something to be learned from the thinking that goes into you know, what are the essential parts that you want to distill into that generated version. We have just such intimate connections with these things and they are setting up the parameters within which we make decisions. Understanding how they work or understanding that other people don't know how they work is, right. is you know, super important just for day-to-day -day decision making. questions that I wanted to ask. Is there anything that we missed out on? Something that you would like to, to make sure gets onto this podcast? I think I probably covered everything that I want to. You know, as soon as I start talking about something, I, I'm sure more ideas come up. But yeah, I think this covered a lot of bases. Mm -hmm.